Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Call it conspiracy or whatever you want, but there is a well-orchestrated message out there that creating a plan for your money that helps you achieve your goals is impossible. You'll never save enough. You'll never get out of debt. You'll never outlive your money. Blah, blah, blah. You've heard them all. But that's a whole crap because it is possible for you to get your financial house in order right now with what you've got in your bank account. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Gaines. It will expand your brain. I've got a confession. 
I love it when a CFP joins me on the show because we can roll up our sleeves and dispel some serious money myths that exist. Today's guest, Peter Lazaroff, comes from the same school of thought as me that building wealth doesn't require a math degree or a solid knowledge of how to work your way around an HP calculator. Not that I'm dissing on you. If you know how to work your way around an HP calculator, you are a better person than me, my friend. In his new book, Making Money Simple, The Complete Guide to Getting Your Financial House in Order and Keeping It That Way Forever, Peter dishes so many great money tips and tricks that this book is soon to become a staple on your bookshelf. No matter how you feel about the word wealth, love it or hate it, the truth is you have to be sneaky with your cash. You have to give it direction, amplify it, and be willing to buck the norm sometimes to make it work for you. Call it wealth or just being smart. I don't care what you call it, but Peter's got the inside scoop on how to get your financial house in order. I wanted to start out with a kind of a hard-hitting question, maybe one of those that makes you go, hmm, but I'd love to know what are two or three easy strategies or steps that you think millennials can take to effectively build their wealth? Great question. Well, I think the most important thing is to start now. So that's really broad, but there's definitely something that you have in your mind and that the listeners are thinking and they're thinking, yeah, I've been putting this off X, Y, or Z off. So whatever that thing is, go ahead and do that. Um, it's hard to know where to start in finance because there are so many different options. And even if you do choose where to start, then you find yourself with another underlying set of options, sometimes complex, sometimes not, but it just paralyzes us. And so I'd really encourage you to take action. I actually have um, a platform called smartmoneyquiz.com where you can get three or four places to start today. So if you don't have that little thing in the back of your mind, there's the starting point. Now, what are some other things people can do? I think really leveraging technology, particularly in the form of automation, is super important because we as human beings are not hardwired to make good decisions. And for the longest time, I felt that you can't take the human nature out of humans. And so you can build systems that sort of acknowledge some of these faults we have with financial decision making rather than try to change them. And when you use automation, whether it's automatically saving to your company's retirement plan or automatically saving towards an emergency fund and doing so that you don't have to make that decision actively each and every paycheck. The more you're automated, the more it's just going to happen. And so I think that's a really important piece. The final thing um, I will say is to set some goals. So it's great. Sometimes people are great savers, but they have no idea what they're saving for. Or they're maybe (laughs) saving a lot of money, but they're saving more money to something that isn't actually as important to them as other things. Uh, I am... I've, my wife and I have these goal worksheets that we've been using ever since marriage. And I actually put them in my book and we use them with clients. And it's a really simple exercise just to write down some goals for the next five years. Um, I always think that maxing out your retirement accounts or making the largest amount of contribution to a retirement account that's comfortable for you should be the top goal, followed by putting something towards an emergency fund. But then after that, think of the goals you have over the next five years financially put a expected cost on those goals and put a time at which you would want that goal to be completed, whether it's paying down debt or taking a vacation or buying a new car. It's really simple to just 
total up those expected costs and divide by 60 because there's 60 months and five years. And then suddenly you know how much you need to save every month to hit all your goals over the next five years. It doesn't really have to be that complicated, but those are some quick ideas on something that's highly actionable to get you on the right track. And I think that's such great advice because I'm sure you would agree just the uh, action of being proactive with your money, setting goals, actually filling out the worksheet there is some sort of magic that happens when you do that. It's not that you instantaneously will be able to achieve that goal, but there really is something. I've seen it work in my life. I'm sure you've seen it as well, and I've seen it with clients and, and just a lot of people where something suddenly clicks when you start doing that proactive uh just little, even little exercise to help you get closer to your goals. Absolutely. And it isn't just finances either. I mean, any sort of little habit you're trying to incorporate in your life or long-term goal that you are working towards, there's a lot of evidence that shows writing it down. There's something about it that just makes it more real. And you suddenly have something that holds you more accountable. It's like a scorecard or a scoreboard that if you aren't addressing it, and particularly if you leave this written goal sheet somewhere visible or somewhere where you'll surely bump into it from time to time, well, then that will remind you what are the things that you spent time thinking about is really important to you. And oh, yeah, maybe it's time to get on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I wanted to ask you, a, a lot of people have this negative taste in their mouth when we talk about the word wealth. It, it seems to have over the years, uh, you know, got this real sort of negative uh impact people think about it they think about greed and they 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 think about a lot of qualities that maybe they don't want to have so how would you suggest we get in a better relationship with that word well i do think the word wealth is hard to change a definition that's really implanted in your brain but think about money itself as a tool and in the grand scheme of the entire planet i am wealthy you know just without you know, no doubt about it. Sure. I, you know, when you think about the entire world and then you think of your peer group, which we often do and you know, I'm doing fine. And then you look at people in the paper on TV and they look wealthy. But when you just think about money as a tool to live the life that you'd like to live, well, then you really suddenly start thinking about what are ways that I can use this tool to the best of my advantage and how can I get enough of these resources to really be in a place that makes me comfortable because financial success looks different to everybody. You know, for me, I don't necessarily need to own boats and, you know, have multiple homes. I just like the idea of when I go out to dinner, I'll just order whatever I feel like. Or if I take a vacation that is a, you know, the vacation of my choosing within reason, um, you know, I'll still go to a store and not buy every pair of tennis shoes I see but I might want to. And you know, if I have the type of wealth where I can suddenly buy every type of shoe I want, well then, man, I probably won the lottery. But you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be um, what you see on TV and movies and social media. It just has to be what is your good money situation. And I think just as important is understanding what your bad money situation is. You know, do you want to be nervous about having enough money in your checking account at the end of each month. If that's what a bad money situation looks like for you, then you do things to adjust. Other people's might just simply be their bad money situation is having debt of any kind. 
and debt's not necessarily bad, but there are people who feel that way, that if they have debt, then the, it's a real bleak outlook. And other people assume that a bad situation is bankruptcy, which is really all out the full end of the spectrum. So as you think about wealth being somewhat of a dirty word, it's okay to have money and there are ways where you can use it that scientifically are shown to increase your happiness. Um, I think that's another piece of it. If you know the tools and you understand what it is you're trying to get out of it, and then even more so, if you understand the type of ways to use those tools to gain the greatest happiness, well, then you're going to really have money on working for you on your side in all aspects of your life. And I love that you said that money's a tool. That's something I talk about on this show all the time, because really when you can root the, your money in the goals that you've set, that's when things start to happen. It, it doesn't seem to happen when we're just thinking, oh, we have to do all the things that everybody else is doing. But when we plant ourselves in those goals, it's like, wow, things are actually starting to happen. And I love that you also brought up that personal finance is personal. <laughs> it's what yes. works for you. So if you're one of those people that is just, you hate debt, you can't, you cannot have debt. Well, then that obviously is going to be a priority for you. Whereas somebody else, maybe that isn't such a big deal for them. Maybe they're leveraging their money in a different way. But that's, I think, the cool part about personal finance and why it's fun to do a podcast like this and have all of these different tools out there for people to use now is you can pick and choose what works for you. And more so than ever before, too, because there are great people like you helping share information and there are easier tools that, I mean, there are digital tools that are just for certain segments and demographics of, of the population. And, and that's wonderful. It's however you relate to it and whatever it takes to get people to make good decisions that think a little bit about them, their future selves, the better. You mentioned uh, your new book, Making Money Simple. And there's an idea that you talk about in the book that I was like, oh, I've got to ask him about this on the podcast. So you talk about this idea of a reverse budget, which I think is super interesting. Tell me a little bit about that and like how that works. So a reverse budget acknowledges that nobody likes budgeting. You know, Budgeting really entails you getting out a spreadsheet at least weekly, maybe monthly, maybe daily. But the reason people budgets typically fail is that people don't want to do that. Um, it's too time yes. consuming. <laughs> it's super restrictive. So imagine I have $500 in my food budget and you know I've already spent it up and I have my best friend who has invited me to his birthday, but I'm out of my food budget. Am I not going to go? It's just unrealistic. You know, the money you can shift spending elsewhere, um, to fall in line with your priorities when you take a different approach, uh, which is this reverse budgeting. And reverse budgeting really just focuses on saving and paying yourself first because you can't spend what you don't have. And if you increase the amount of savings, it naturally reduces what you spend. So um, it also forces you to prioritize your expenditures. But reverse budgeting is somewhat of the exercise that I quickly laid out um, earlier with the short-term goals where you really just try to figure out how much do you need to contribute towards your goals on a regular basis. And then you set up an automatic withdrawal from your checking account to go to a separate savings account for each of these goals. And some accounts like retirement will be in investment accounts. Other ones like an emergency fund or maybe a vacation fund would be on an online bank. But the money just flows out. And once it's all going to the places you need it to go, well, then you can just spend money as you choose. So there's a lot less ongoing maintenance. There's a lot less expense tracking. It's really easy to do and keep up. And even better, 
um, is if you find a way to somehow escalate your savings over time, well, then not only are you going to be meeting your goals more quickly, but you're going to be preventing um, your lifestyle from expanding from the raises that you tend to get in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. 
When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. We'll jump back into Peter's awesome tips after an Ask Shauna, and this one comes from David, and David says, hey, Shauna, love the podcast, listen every week, I don't know what I would do without the podcast, so thank you very much. But I have a question for you. My girlfriend and I are getting ready to go on a trip in the next six months, and it's going to be a big trip, and we're trying to figure out whether or not we should buy travel insurance. I've read a ton of articles, some say yes, some say no. And I'm just curious how you stand on the whole travel insurance thing. Thanks so much again for the podcast. Love every single episode. And I feel like I'm getting smarter day by day. David, such a great question. I love this question. And in fact, I actually just wrote a couple articles on travel insurance. So I feel like I'm a little warmed up. So this was like a great question to come my way. And I think travel insurance is one of those things where a lot of us feel like, okay, what's the scam? They're trying to scam us. There's some way they're going to take our money. And if something happens, they're never going to reimburse us. But I actually am a big fan of travel insurance, but I have a few different rules that I follow. So 
for me, if I'm traveling somewhere in the United States that's within a short distance. So for me, short distance is like three-hour plane trip or less. So something that maybe isn't going to cost me a ton of money or maybe it's a driving trip that I'm going on. I probably wouldn't consider travel insurance in that situation. Now, this is just me personally, so I'm just kind of walking you through my crazy uh, thinking on this. If it's a farther trip, like I'm going to Hawaii or maybe I'm going to the East Coast, I live in Los Angeles, or definitely if I'm going outside of the country, I always consider, not always consider, I always buy travel insurance because I really think that there are a lot of nuanced benefits in most travel insurance policies that are so beneficial. Now, of course, with everything, not all travel insurance policies are created equal. So you really got to do your due diligence when you're searching for travel insurance. And sometimes when you book online or you buy a, a plane ticket or maybe hotel stay through somewhere like Expedia or different sites like that. They'll say, oh, you can also get travel insurance with us. Well, before I click the button to say, yes, I want it with that carrier, I check a couple other carriers and I'm actually gonna put those links in the show notes of who I always check because I believe they have some of the best travel insurance policies. So I check and see what their price would be and then I compare and contrast a little bit because Again, you want to make sure that, for instance, let's say you need to cancel the trip because you're sick or a family member's sick or something has happened. You want to make sure that that policy is going to pay out. You also want to make sure that there's things like trip interruption. So let's say you're flying somewhere and the plane is delayed and it's going to cause you delay on all your other flights. You're going to have to rebook. You're going to have rebooking fees, all that sorts of thing. You are going to want to have your travel insurance come in and reimburse you for those expenses. But another really big reason why I love travel insurance is because of the medical benefits. So if I'm overseas, a lot of the plans and the only plans that I get are plans that include both medical expenses reimbursed. So if I have to go to a doctor in a foreign country or God forbid I have to be in a hospital in a foreign country or some emergency happens, I'm going to get reimbursed for that. But second, why I love it is it's got the policies that I purchase have medical evacuation coverage. So it's usually up to $100,000. And what that means is if for some reason you need to be medevaced back to the United States, your insurance policy that you have now, your normal health insurance policy is not going to cover that. (laughs) And I want to know that if something tragic happens to me when I'm traveling overseas, I can get on a airplane or helicopter or whatever the heck it needs to be and get back to the United States and get back to a doctor. So the policies that I select have that type of coverage. So you do need to read the fine prints. And I know that's annoying for a lot of people, but you really need to make sure that you understand how this works because a lot of the travel insurance uh, policies won't cover pre-existing conditions. Like for instance, if you're pregnant, Travel insurance is not going to come in and help you. So that's just one pre-existing condition that almost every policy uh, exempts for. But um, again, you need to do your research. So I think it is absolutely the best investment. It usually costs us somewhere between $100 and $200. But again, 
that is to insure our entire trip amount. So our hotel stays, our, our plane stays, like any of those things, car rentals, all of those sorts of things would be reimbursed if various things happen to us on the trip. So again, I'll put the links in the show notes. That's an awesome question. And I think worst case scenario, it's at least something that you look at when you're going on your next trip and at least get familiar with why it may be so beneficial and come up with your own sets of rules like I do. Like I have this crazy set of rules that I follow and it's not really rules, kind of guidelines of when and and how I would get my travel insurance, but you can come up with your own rules and make this uh, work for you. But I definitely think it could be worth the investment. Uh, yes, that lifestyle creep that happens to you all of us. <laughs> yes. So I'd love to know, like, I'm sure there's somebody listening that's like, okay, great. So I have all these goals and I, I have an idea of, of what my life to look, what I want my life to look like, but I'm living paycheck to paycheck or just there isn't extra money every month. What would you say to somebody in that situation? How could they maybe reallocate their money? Or are there any secret tricks that you have of maybe they could find just a little bit of money that they could start at least putting towards these goals? Sure. Well, I mean, I think there are some relatively simple changes for big savings, uh, but there is one exercise that seems to work really well with people. Uh, basically, if you can get a list of transactions that you've had, so if that means printing off multiple credit card statements, or if you use an expense aggregator like mint.com, or um, you know, I have a company that does it as well called Bright Plan, you look at all the expenses, and if you have a significant other, you each have a printed off list of these expenses, and then you start labeling the expenses as high value, low value, or no value. And then you compare notes. And if you and your significant other both assign something as no value, well, there's an easy expense to cut. And frequently, those are subscriptions. I mean, we've gotten into this economy <laughs> where, my goodness, I cut the cable cord forever ago, but I have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have Amazon Prime, Disney, because I have children, is going to have their channel, and I bet I'm going to have that. So, you know, at a certain point, you have these subscriptions uh, that you forget about, and certainly if those fall into the low value, you maybe consider cutting them. <laughs> if they're in the no value, no doubt you cut them. And I think that brings a lot of awareness to the spending patterns. Now, there are other suggestions I make within the book, Making Money Simple, where you can, for example, buy term and life insurance instead of whole life insurance or um, increase the deductibles on your auto insurance or home insurance. Now, there's some nuance. When you increase the deductible on an insurance, that basically means you're not self-insuring, but you're certainly taking on more of the insurance risk. So you shouldn't do that unless you have an emergency fund. Um, but other things like refinancing your loans or trading in like a travel rewards credit card for one that earns cash back. Because in my experience, so I like watch my credit cards like a hawk and I know exactly, you know, how to maximize the value. But most people who are getting reward cards don't do a great job of maximizing the value on those. Um, little stuff like that. I mean, I think there's a lot of suggestions, but over time, I think that exercise of going through the high value, low value, no value 
even if you don't have a significant other, you can do it on your own and still cut out things that say no value. It's just a little bit of, oh, that was kind of an impulse purchase or, <laughs> like, oh, I forgot I even have that. I haven't logged into that subscription in a long time. You'd be surprised and that can add up quickly. It can be a couple hundred bucks a month, which can change kind of the trajectory of your goals. Yeah. And that's such a great exercise. Uh, my husband and I do a version of that uh, fairly frequently. Like, How often would you suggest that somebody do that? So the fact that you do it fairly frequently is brave. I feel like a lot of, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I feel like I don't want some of my bad expenditures and low value expenditures uncovered. Uh, they probably make me comfortable, but um, I think if you're having a cash flow problem, then that's the time to do it. Other than that, a cadence of once a year is um, easily as much as I've ever done it. But if you're doing it frequently, you're probably going to find things less often, which is fine. You know, it's just keeping a shorter leash on the situation. At the same time, when you add a new expense, you'll probably notice it. And being aware of that and being aware, and this is the second time we've mentioned it, being aware of that lifestyle creep is pretty important. Yeah, that that's great advice. And like you said, you just have to find what works for you and your partner if that's once a year, if that's several times a year. But just again, the the act of being proactive with it really goes such a long way. Sure, the intentionality and that's so much of so many financial decisions, whether it's budgeting or investing or just doing some of those, you know, bigger, less frequent money decisions you have to make when it comes to buying a house or saving for education. It's the intentionality that has such value that's hard to quantify. Yeah. You know, we've, we've just spent some time talking about some strategies, but I would love to know a little bit more about, about you. Have you always been interested in money and are there, are there any great money lessons you've learned along the way that you'd love to share? I would say that I have had a long-term interest in stocks. And at the age at which I was interested in stocks, I'm not even sure I knew what that meant other than <laughs> yeah, my, my grandmother had given me a share of Nike stock when I was 12 years old and the stock continued to split, which if you don't know what that means for the listeners, uh, sometimes when a share is at $100, the company will cut the price to 50 and issue everybody another share so that basically you know, their shares are worth the same. They just have a bigger number. But to a kid who's 12 who had one share and suddenly has two and then four and then eight, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. I really like this. Plus, they're sending me a dollar in the mail every quarter. I was totally, yeah, nice. totally hooked. And uh, I think as I progressed through high school and college, I knew that I wanted to do something with stocks at a younger age, which is a pretty nebulous, all-encompassing term. But sort of firmed that up in college that, yeah, I want to be in financial services. And I was really fortunate that I was right and went into a field um, as a financial advisor that that really allows me to share that passion with other people and help people make good money decisions. Now, to answer your question, are there any bits of wisdom I've p picked up over the way? I would say the book is my <laughs> manifesto of little bits of wisdom. But I would say the other thing that we all know but probably don't respect the way that we should is just the general power of compounding and how compounding occurs all around us. I mean, it's definitely in our investment and bank accounts, but you know, habits compound such that you can transform into a totally different person over time. And your financial situation, particularly if you're in a situation where you feel like there's so many negatives, you're not sure where to start. Well, making like one small improvement, even if it doesn't make it go away, will compound over time and eventually lead to a better outcome. And then similarly, all the little things in finance. Um, I think when you're an advisor, 
you suddenly start to pick up on little tiny mistakes people make that, you know, if they have a good savings rate, kind of goes unnoticed. But if they did notice it, it would be pretty noticeable after a decade or two. Um, and the real key is understanding that most of the decisions you make will have multiple decades of implications. So, I mean, I probably will be working for another 30 or 40 years. Now, part of that's because I like to work. I would hope to accumulate enough wealth where I don't have to work, but I'll choose to work. But if I know that I have 30 or 40 years to compound stuff, you know, you're really going to try to take your time with decisions, financial or otherwise. I mean, health as well. I mean, I think health goes overlooked as a huge financial cost. I would say that when you're younger and you're, you know, doing, you're not treating your body as, as nicely as you do as you start to age. I'm a pretty, I'm, <laughs> an, I'm at the older end of the spectrum of millennials. You know, I definitely think, my goodness, like I'm much more conscious because healthcare has huge costs over time and it's, it's everywhere around you. All those things compound over time. Yeah. And I mean, even thinking about healthcare going forward, I mean, many of us, the reality is we're going to live well into our hundreds. And so if, if people are still holding on to the idea that we're going to stop working at 65 or 70, my gosh, we could live 30, 35 years plus in quote unquote retirement. And I think now, if you're if you're in your 30s or even if you're in your early 40s, the concept of that still feels really far away. But when you think about it, like, oh my gosh, you might spend more time not working when you're older than you did before you actually started your first job. Like, you're going to need some cash for that. Well, you know, like the neural patterns in our brain, like there's been studies that when you think about savings, it's, we think of it as the same way as giving money to a complete stranger. So if like researchers <laughs> have looked at neural patterns and they're identical, giving money to a stranger versus saving for the future. And so how do you reconcile that difference and the willpower it would take to do every single day to think of like the 80 year old version of yourself is bonkers. Like you can't, you can't expect anybody to do that. And so you know, I'm a, I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the course of my career is the more systems and processes you can put in place, the easier it is going to be to make a decision that benefits the 80-year-old version of myself. And it's it's willpower is like a muscle. You can't constantly exercise it. So what can you do to help yourself make good decisions without feeling the stress of making those good decisions each and every day? Yeah. And I like what you also said about compounding, thinking it in terms of of habits, maybe good habits and even bad habits, but that the the simple act of of doing one thing each day, I say this a lot on the podcast, but doing one thing, it could be even like a little thing that's going to help you propel you forward towards your goals. Like those actions do compound because before you know it, you're doing those things kind of automatically without even thinking. Yeah. Allegedly, like 40% of the things we do every day is habit that we don't think about, um, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And I dedicated a lot of time and effort in the book to compounding. And I even moved the chapter up to chapter one at one point because I think even though I I have a background in economics and mathematics and generally speaking, yeah, I get compounding, but yet our brains don't really picture and visualize those that the exponential power of it very well. And so I spent an inordinate, inordinate amount of time trying to explain compounding and uh, users, if they you know want to check out the book, you can sign up for my newsletter. And actually, that chapter gets sent to you um, in the welcome email. So if you went to peterlazaroff.com, you can 
of within seconds of signing up, I'll send you chapter one. And I think you can see some of the examples I use to try to show you how critical it is and get you really excited about finding a way to, to leverage time and in, in the power of compounding in your favor. Talking about your your background in investing, I know that you're a big fan of of something you call goals based investing. Tell me a little bit more about this and maybe how it differs from just traditional investing. So goals based investing essentially takes each of your goals and puts them onto different accounts with a portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash, all in different proportions according to what the risk profile of that goal is. So, for example. If I send, um, if I have five goals, well, let's make it smaller so this is easy. If I have a goal of buying a new car, saving for retirement, and an emergency fund, I'll send money every month to three different accounts: one called vacation, excuse me, one called car, one <laughs> yes called emergency to vacation. fund, one called retirement. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have a fourth one in there. All right, we're adding vacation in there, so now vacation is in there too. It's a dream vacation, and it's five years away. So for retirement, you're automatically sending money to this account and you're probably going to own riskier assets like stocks that are going to earn a higher return over time. Whereas an emergency fund, that's for emergencies. You don't want any risky assets in that. So you're going to be primarily, if not entirely, in cash. Now, this dream vacation that we just decided to add in, it's five years away. It'll probably be some mix of stocks, bonds, and cash. Now, I don't want to be in the middle of a recession and have a stock market falling and ruin my vacation plans. So I probably won't have too many stocks in it. Um, and then similarly for a car, you know, that car account will probably have some mix of cash and bonds because I know my car's about to die because it's nine years old. And if I wait five more years to buy a car, it's probably going to be time. What I've just described is goals-based investing. Traditional investing is just put all your money in one big account and invest it. And I think the benefits of goals-based investing is this phenomena called mental accounting, which behavioral scientists used to reference as a negative. They say, well, it's not efficient from a cost perspective to spread out your assets across all these accounts. But what has changed is technology and trading platforms such that it is now cost-effective. And it's much easier to watch the stock market lose 20% when I know in my retirement account, which I won't need for 30 years or so, then I don't need to worry about the market being down. Meanwhile, my emergency fund is all in cash, so I don't need to worry about the market being down for that either. These other goals that have a little mix of stock and bonds, well, they only have a little bit of stock in it. And so even though the market's down 20%, I'm probably still on track for my goal. So goals-based investing is really one of these ways to deal with market volatility, which is incredibly normal. So the best thing to do when you're an investor is just to try not to watch it on a regular basis. The more often you look, the higher the probability is you'll see a loss. But over longer periods of time, the market is up. And when you're saving, you need to grow your assets at a rate that's greater of inflation. And otherwise, you know, if you're just saving in cash all the time, you'll have to work a lot longer and save a lot more than you would otherwise. But the market loses money all the time. And the media makes it sound really scary in your phone. You know, There'll be headlines and your phone is dinging that the stocks are down. And generally speaking, if you can somehow understand the theory behind the fact that those losses, that is the cost of the higher expected return of your investments, then you're going to be in good shape. And while that's maybe you know, boring to think about the theory, I can't think of a better word than that. You know, what goals-based investing does is it kind of acknowledges the theory and acknowledges that we like to avoid losses as humans. Um, 
And when we see losses, we tend to make less than optimal investment decisions. By bucketing them out to specific goals, it's easier to deal with that volatility. It's also easier to track your progress. And one of the challenges with finances is that progress is pretty incremental. Um, if you haven't been working out for a few years and you suddenly go for a run, <laughs> well, you don't like have a six pack. You know, it just doesn't happen like that. I it's, wish it's progression. Yeah, right. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, that incremental progress turns into something. But if you can track it more easily and see it, then it's more encouraging and it's easier to make those good decisions and continue to make those good decisions going forward. And what if I'm somebody who's already doing this to, to some extent, but I'm trying to figure out, let's say, maybe I'm already contributing to my 401k or my IRA, or maybe I have a Roth and I'm, I'm putting money in my emergency fund and I, I'm doing some of these things. What else should I be thinking about in terms of investing? I mean, should I just be continuing to be focused on the strategy, the plan, the the auto deposit in these different accounts? Or should I be thinking maybe a little bit high level? Well, it's different for everybody because personal finance is very personal, as you uh, mentioned earlier. It's one of the reasons that I created smartmoneyquiz.com because oftentimes people are doing really great job savings but they don't really know what to do next or if they're doing it at the right place. So I'd highly encourage people to check out smartmoneyquiz.com. But oftentimes when you, it's just a matter of uncovering blind spots. And unless you're a professional, it's hard to do that. And if you aren't going to work with a professional, well, then you have to do some really thoughtful planning around just what is important to you in life and what are your values it is always helpful to have someone guide that conversation. And I'm biased. Look, I'm a financial advisor and I think everyone should have a financial advisor. And that said, I actually have hired a financial advisor myself despite being perfectly qualified to manage my own finances. The problem is having, if it's just me, then there's no objective third party. And I'm kind of lazy sometimes. Like I take great care of my clients, but I will deprioritize myself all the time. Yes. And things, you know, the, the proactive advice that someone nudging me along the way, that's the well worth the money. Um, similarly to writing a book, I had to hire a project manager just to text me every day for six <laughs> months. Hey, are you writing yet? Like to have to pay someone to do that is pretty crazy. But you know, I, I just know that I'll get distracted by other things and life's busy and I got kids and I feel like I squeezed an entire adult day into 15 minutes every night after my kids go to bed. And you know, that means I need to hire someone else. So if you're doing a great job, you can always ask somebody for help. You don't have to be a client of somebody to get an opinion of theirs. I would just encourage that you make sure that that person um, isn't just trying to sell you something. And if you can remember it, try to find out if they are acting as a fiduciary. Yeah, that's such great advice. Well, Peter, wow, you've given us so much to think about. I'm curious if you could leave us with just maybe one tip about about building wealth, being smart with our money. What would you tell us? Don't watch the market, but keep putting money in it. Because the more you watch it, the more it will make you frustrated and you will do silly things. Um, having investment success is really all about minimizing mistakes and staying the heck out of the way of compound interest. And we could probably spend hours talking about how we are just not hardwired to make good investment decisions. And a lot of the reasons that people make mistakes is because they follow it in the news like it's like it's professional sports or you know some sort of form of entertainment. And it's not. It is a tremendous tool for building wealth if you just trust that over time, 
markets will give you higher returns. Just try not to watch it too closely. And that will prevent you from doing something silly in the short term that would harm you in the long term. I love it. It's such great advice. I'm a baker. So the theory goes, don't open the oven when something's baking. It's not going to taste <laughs> as good. So it's the same theory with investing. I love that. I like that. I'm going to use that sometime. Yeah, it works fairly well. You know, somehow if you can if you can convince people that money is a lot like food, you start seeing the light bulbs go off. I love it. Well, uh, Peter, this has been great. Tell people where they can find you and uh, where they can go to grab a copy of your book. So you can go to my website, which is peterlazaroff.com. Um, and if you struggle with spelling, you can always Google it. And I'm pretty sure you'll find me. And Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all just at Peter Lazaroff. The book um, is cheapest on Amazon, but you can buy it uh, anywhere they sell books. Uh, but Amazon is currently the cheapest place to buy Making Money Simple. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. It's absolutely free and you'll make sure you never miss an episode of Millennial Money. You can also listen to all our episodes on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Pandora. <laughs>